Hello everyone and welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi episode 422 for Sunday, February 3rd, 2013. Obviously I'm not Rico, this is one of his off weeks since he did a really great podcast last week about the man from Atlantis, so I am here to fill in. You may recognize my voice, Joe here, BillyBob476 on the Treks in Sci-Fi forums, and I am the host of the almost year old now, still got a few more months, but I'm almost there. Uh, the host of the Upper Memory Block podcast, podcast all about DOS and pre-Windows XP gaming. Um, I've, I guess, this is my fourth time now uh, hosting hosting Treks and Sci-Fi, and uh, I know last time I, I did a fun cast about uh, about Star Trek gaming, but uh, the, we won't be talking about any gaming today. I'm going to talk about a really fun movie. But first, I know not everyone does, but I like to keep Tariko's format a little bit, and there is. Uh, there's a little bit of news this week that uh, that I think bears some talking about. So as Rico mentioned last week, uh, the big news of late is, of course, J.J. Abrams directing Star Wars Episode Seven. So I was very wary about this whole thing, and I was waiting for confirmation. And as of last Friday, before Rico did last week's show, the news was confirmed by Disney management, and uh, an announcement was posted on StarWars.com and all that. So it is most definitely legit. So I... I'm now allowing myself to start to get excited and start to think about things. Uh, you know, of course, it's hard at this point to say what'll come of it all. Of course, JJ's track record with everything he's done up to now, including Star Trek, has been quite positive. And, uh, and you know, he stated that getting the chance to do Star Wars is a dream come true for him. So basically, I'm pretty happy with the whole thing. Uh, you know, we get more Star Wars. We get it from a director that, at the very least, I enjoy. Um... So, you know, it, it, it seems like it could be a good thing. Now, uh, with all the news about Episode 7 and JJ and all that, people forgot about, or at least I forgot about, the upcoming 3D releases of Episodes 2 and 3. Well, it turns out you can continue to forget about it. Uh, earlier this week, StarWars.com posted uh, a short announcement which states the following. Lucasfilm has decided to postpone this fall's scheduled release of Star Wars Episodes 2 and 3 in 3D. Given the recent development that we are moving forward with a new Star Wars trilogy, we will now focus 100% of our efforts on Star Wars Episode 7 in order to ensure the best possible experience for our fans. We will post further information about our 3D release plans at a later date. So that's the quote right there. Well, what does that mean? Well, they didn't come out right and say that the releases were cancelled, they've merely been postponed. Though, on the other hand, there's really no date commitment here. So, for the moment, I guess, we can just assume that they're cancelled until we hear otherwise. You know, maybe they'll come around, maybe they won't. Uh, for me, personally, this isn't really a huge deal. I mean, I didn't even go and see Episode 1 in 3D. Uh, I have DVDs, I have Blu-rays, I have Spike TV, I have countless ways to watch both the new and old trilogies. Uh, you know, I might have gone to see Episode 3, but... The other two, episode one and two, eh. Now, where where I do see this hurting is with parents of young kids. I know a lot of people love bringing their kids to see Star Wars on the big screen, and sadly they'll be missing that opportunity, at least for the original trilogy, that I know a lot of uh, a lot of younger kids or people that are now older that were younger when they came out uh, really did enjoy, uh, at least most likely until the new trilogy is done. They may do it afterwards, they may not, who knows. So that's that for Star Wars news. Over in Trek news, uh, there's nothing more about JJ for now. Uh, we do have some new info, though, on the TNG Season 3 Blu-ray set. Uh, according to a few sites, it looks like we'll be getting Season 3 in April. 
I have the first two seasons on Blu-ray, and I'm very excited to continue on. I've I've never really been one to buy blu to buy uh, DVD sets of Star Trek. I didn't buy the original DVD sets just because I kind of I don't know it didn't do a huge thing. But I I took the plunge. I got the Blu-ray sets of season two, and I uh, watched a couple of episodes. Immediately went out to get the season one one, and I'm going to get the season three as soon as it hits uh hits the shelves especially with season three you know while season two of tng had quite a few good episodes i really feel like season three is is when tng kind of really hit its stride and became the show that we now know and love uh you know if the blu-ray treatment the special features and everything else that's included on these releases keeps up with what they've been doing i know it'll be great uh will wheaton this week also posted on his blog that uh, he got to screen the blooper reel for the upcoming release, so we'll definitely be getting another one of those. I really loved the season two blooper reel with uh, with Patrick Stewart making funny faces and everyone kind of uh, laughing it up. Uh, on top of this release, though, so we're getting the regular uh, the regular DVD set like we've had for the first two seasons, but it looks like we're also getting something else around the same time. Uh, reports are that we'll be getting a single disc feature length edit of the best of both worlds, the two-parter. So that's part one and two that are edited into a single feature-length cut. It's a pretty cool idea. I assume the regular two-part cut of, uh, of part one will, uh, will be at the end of the season three set, and part two will be at the beginning of the season four set. So if you really love best of both worlds, then keep your eyes on this news, and, and obviously uh, we'll post about it in the forums and on the Facebook group and all that as soon as we find out anything, because that's what we do here at Trex and Sci-Fi. So that's it for the news, but before we get to the main topic of the show, uh, I want to do a little bit of review. It's not a TV show, a movie, a book, or a comic series. I am going to review a music project. So back in May of 2012, a very talented musician named Andrew Allen, in conjunction with Brian Ibbett of the long-running Coverville Music Podcast, started a Kickstarter campaign to fund an album that they called Smooth Federation. Smooth Federation is described as an instrumental jazz tribute album featuring covers of Star Trek music. Now, the album has 11 tracks with really, really amazing jazz adaptations covering each of the show themes, the movie themes from Star Trek 3 and 4, the Amok Time fight music, and more. Uh, you've been listening to it in the background a little bit here, so make your own determination. It's available for digital purchase on the US iTunes store for $9.99. Amazon for $8.99 and uh, for digital download and physical CD purchase on CD Baby. So check that out. I think it's it's really awesome, really cool. And uh, if you like Star Trek and you like jazz, or even if you don't really like jazz, give it a listen and uh, you know I, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. a new age of combat. Human beings, genetically engineered to be the best fighters in history. Two champions. It isn't over until someone wins. <laughs> At war with each other. Kill it! I have already killed you. Two invincible men. Let's finish it, Alexander. Here now. The ultimate killing machines. I'm gonna get in this thing! And I'm gonna kick your... 
for me. Robot Jocks. So, now on to the main topic of the show. Uh, this week I thought I'd I thought it'd be fun to cover one of my guilty pleasure movies. I'm going to talk about the little-known 1990 film Robot Jocks. Uh, it was directed by a man more known for horror than for sci-fi, Stuart Gordon. Now, I'm not a big horror fan myself, but skimming his filmography, I do recognize Reanimator, Space Truckers, and uh, he also did two episodes of Masters of Horror. Uh, it was written by well-known sci-fi author Joe Halderman, who I certainly recognize from his 1974 novel The Forever War. I haven't quite gotten around to reading The Forever War myself, but it's certainly on my to-do list. The Forever War is seen as kind of the anti-war counterpart to Robert Heinlein's pro-war novel Starship Troopers. Uh, <laughs> the novel being much better than the movie, but uh, I guess that's up for uh, up for discussion. I guess Starship Troopers is another one of my uh, guilty pleasure movies, as it is for many of us, I know. So, you know, all this looks good so far. The director's credits are a bit hit and miss, but the writer is certainly considered top-notch. So let's see where these guys get us. So the movie opens on a quiet, snow-covered battlefield, and a narrator explains the situation. It is 50 years since the nuclear holocaust almost destroyed mankind. War is now outlawed, and all territorial disputes between the two great alliances are settled by single combat. Here at the Confederation playing field in Siberia, a battle rages between two gigantic fighting machines piloted by their nation's champions. The Robot Jocks. So, there are two major powers in the world at this time. The Market and the Confederation. As you can imagine, the Market represents all that is well and good in the world. Free market capitalism, puppies, making money, and apple pie. The Confederation represents everything that is bad in the world in the late 80s, which is basically communism and bad Russian accents. Uh, we quickly see that we are in the midst of a fight. The camera pans down to a smashed and broken robot. The pilot is climbing out of his machine, beaten and bloody. Suddenly, a large black robotic foot comes into frame. The downed pilot does not look happy. This is our introduction to Alexander, clearly the film's antagonist. He is played by German actor Paul Koslow. Koslow isn't an actor I really recognize for much, but he did have very steady work throughout the 70s, 80s, and early 90s on TV, including an episode of Buck Rogers, an episode of Galactica 1980, and a role in Charlton Heston's 1971 film The Omega Man. There are most assuredly some genre credits in his repertoire. So the market pilot begs Alexander for mercy, yielding the fight to him. After the judges confirm Alexander has indeed won, he proceeds to crush his already beaten opponent under his robot's massive foot. Alexander isn't satisfied, though. This pilot was easy. He wants to fight the best the market has to offer, and that is star robot jock, Achilles. You're next! Achilles! So we then move into the market team's control room. They are, of course, reacting to the loss of their pilot. Tex Conway, retired robot jock and team strategist, played by Michael Aldridge, and robot designer Doc Nakamura, who's played by Dami Kamikona, are arguing with market commissioner Jameson 
who is played by Robert Sampson. Uh, like current-day F1 racing, a huge part of this game is research. Whereas F1 teams find ways to make better brakes, lighter engines, and other advancements to win races, robot jock teams develop more lethal and more powerful weapons to use against their opponents. Tex and Doc are convinced that the fight went to the Confederation much too easily and that espionage must be the cause. Alexander already had countermeasures for all of their newly fielded secret weapons. Here's part of the argument between Tex and the Commissioner. You say he's not the best? That's why we're saving him. To fight for Alaska. Alaska, big deal. It is big. Oil, timber, <laughs> minerals. The goddamn Eskimos. The point is, if my boy had been in there today, nobody would have had to fight Alexander for Alaska. He'd be dead. We cannot allow the Confederation to occupy one square inch of American soil. Soil is just dirt. All the rest of the team is dead. Charles Virgil Peck. Fighting name, Hercules. Born in Tucson, Arizona. It's him and me. Yesterday. Now it's just me. Seven fights. So if it hasn't been made clear to this point, the reason for these games is to fight for land and resources since war has been outlawed. Alaska is the next point of contention between the two superpowers. As it turns out, Alexander has been killing all of the market robot jocks. The only one left now is Achilles. Achilles is played by actor Gary Graham. Now, I didn't recognize his name, but I was certain I had seen him somewhere before. Uh, I didn't watch it, but many of you will know him best for his role as Detective Matthew Sykes in Alien Nation, both the series and the follow-on TV movies. I recognized him, though, from his recurring guest role as Vulcan Ambassador Soval on Enterprise. He appeared in all four seasons of the show. He also had a guest role in Season 3 of Voyager, and most recently had a role in Tim Russ's Star Trek of Gods and Men. Also, according to a few sources he was in very early consideration for the roles of both Captains Sisko and Janeway before they decided to go African-American for Sisko and female for Janeway. So tons of Trek connections with Mr. Graham. So to further reinforce the point that Achilles is indeed the best, we revisit him in the middle of a training session after the match. Clad only in a unitard, he fights off a large group of jocks in training. The last young jock candidate he takes down then hits him from behind. Achilles whips around, teaches him a lesson. As he and Tex walk away from the mats, the young trainees continue their sparring. Uh, it's then that Achilles notices that there is, in fact, a female trainee. We soon find out that her name is Athena. Athena is played by Anne-Marie Johnson. After some appropriately macho comments about her, we find out the trainees are, in fact, genetically engineered humans. Ooh, cold fish. Damn tibbies. Pity, ain't it? Achilles, Commander Conway, I would like you to meet Professor Laplace. Oh, yeah, you're the one who came up with these test tube babies. I wish you wouldn't use that term. They're as human as either of you. No mothers, no fathers. Human beings, genetically engineered to be the best fighters in history. The market would appreciate complete cooperation from you during their final training. If you uh, mean feed and diaper them, I'm afraid we don't have time. B 
big fight coming up, in case you didn't hear. You have an obligation to see that they have the best training possible. You'll find they're very quick to learn. Manufactured people. The Confederation is developing Gen Jocks too. We cannot afford to fall behind. Here. I'd appreciate it if you could provide us with raw material. Uh, raw material? For the gene pool. You are the market's most famous jocks. <laughs> Bink. Your DNA will be used to breed a superior stock of warrior. You ain't using my DNA to make no doobies. <laughs> uh, could we just skip the middleman and uh, make a direct deposit? <laughs> <laughs> Professor Laplace is played by British actress Hilary Mason. Uh, think of her as the Gen Jock's mother and grandma kind of all rolled into one. Uh, she cares for them and thinks very highly of her creations. Since they have yet to be truly tested in combat, Achilles, Tex, and the rest of the team don't really respect them very much. We then move back to the control room. Some time has passed and we are at the fight between Alexander and Achilles, the fight for Alaska. The Gen Jocks are also in the room to observe Achilles, a real pro jock, in action. So a jock's contract is for 10 fights. After that, they can retire in peace. This important battle for Alaska will be Achilles' 10th. In a nice sequence, we see Achilles climbing, getting dressed up, getting adjusted, climbing up the gantry to the cockpit of his robot, and preparing for the upcoming fight. We have Union. Check. Last one, boy. You're gonna make history today. What I'm gonna make is trouble for Alexander. That's it. Keep your mind on the here and now. Just don't get cautious on me is what I mean. That's how you get in trouble. Don't let it get to you. So after a call from his brother and his family wishing him luck, the robot rises up to ground level and takes to the field. Here we are finally down to the action. The robot's battle sequences are rendered in stop-motion animation. Now, this isn't Empire Strikes Back level stop-motion either. The robot's movements are quite jerky, they don't really have a sense of weight and scale to them, despite the fact that they're supposed to be something like 40 or 50 feet tall, and they honestly just don't look quite right. So, regardless of the effects though, the fight begins. The first phase is with ranged weapons. Doc tells Achilles to use their new secret weapon, the Green Laser. He does so, damaging Alexander. In retribution, though, Alexander responds with green laser fire of his own. It seems the spy has struck again. Off on the side of the battlefield, bleachers filled are filled to the brim with fight fans that go crazy. They love it. So many people here watching, this is their main form of entertainment. This is soccer, baseball, football, hockey, all rolled into one. They love it. So the fight progresses to phase two, where no ranged weapons are allowed. This is where the combatants get close in and slug it out with fists, buzz saws, and fusion cutters. In this phase, Achilles' robot takes a fall, temporarily knocking him unconscious. As Alexander moves in for the kill, Achilles wakes up, kicks Alexander down, and turns the tables. In an illegal move, Alexander fires his robot's fist at Achilles. It takes off on rockets, but suddenly veers off towards the bleachers that are filled with spectators. If it connects, hundreds of people will be killed. In a heroic move, Achilles moves his robot to intercept the projectile. He gets between the flying fist and the spectators, takes huge damage to his robot, gets severely injured himself, but instead of stopping the carnage, 
The fist hits his robot, knocking it off balance, and despite his best efforts, the robot lands on the bleachers, killing over 300 people. The incident is plastered all over the media. A hearing is held to determine if anyone's at fault and how to call the match. Commissioner Jameson has some very compelling arguments defending Achilles and stating that the match should be called in their favor. The Council of Game Officials thinks quite differently. For the benefit of the media and the public, let me first make two things clear. One, although it is tragic that many people lost their lives in this incident, that tragedy is irrelevant. Two, the motivation of Achilles in choosing to block the weapon is also irrelevant. We hereby declare the match inconclusive, a draw. The stewardship of Alaska will remain undetermined for one week. One week from today, you will meet again in Death Valley for a rematch. Yeah! One week, you're mine. I kill you dead. <laughs> no, I'm not fighting. I did my contract. Ten fights. That's it. You must So Achilles won't do it. It's a technicality. But he's right. He's fought 10 fights and fulfilled his robot jock contract. Everyone's shocked. What does this mean? Well, one of the gen jocks has to be brought up to fight in his place. After an argument with the commissioner where Achilles is accused of a breach of contract and where we some for some reason find out that he's illiterate, uh, he heads to the local jock bar and drowns his sorrows. Athena and the gen jock that attacked him in training try to cheer him up, but to no avail. At this point, Alexander shows up to gloat. Achilles tries to pick a fight, but Alexander won't engage him. He only fights on the field. Athena carries him back to his apartment, and the next morning they have an argument. She can't understand why Achilles won't fight. After a final goodbye to his friend Tex, Achilles goes back to normal life. The only place he has to go is to his brother's home. Hey. Hey, Jim, <laughs> good to see you. <laughs> Don't let the air in. <laughs> Got worse than before? Well, they say it's better. My turn! That's what I'm used to. My turn! Achilles! Hey, Tony! <laughs> but it's just Uncle Jim again. I'm not fighting anymore. Uh, can I still call you Achilles? Yeah, you can. <laughs> Go get your daddy, Tommy. Dad! Achilles is here! <sighs> well, look at you! Well, we're just doing our part. <laughs> And besides, with six kids, you get three bedrooms. Come <laughs> Philly! We thought you bought it last time. Yeah. Crash and burn suddenly takes on a new meaning. Yeah. Well, you're safe now. Listen, honey, why didn't you give Jim a beer? Uh, I'll be with you in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. So, it seems like this one that give you little hints about the interesting world that these people actually do live in. There's all these elements that are kind of strewn throughout the movie that really would have rounded things out a whole lot. For example, you keep seeing posters all around with uh, a mother and a baby and the words prenatal on it. You hear Achilles' sister-in-law talk about, about uh, added benefits for having more than six kids. Achilles is illiterate. 
uh, when walking outside, everyone has to wear face masks. It seems like a lot of thought was put into building this world, but the movie just kind of doesn't really give itself the time to develop things. It's just kind of moving along too fast. So moving along too fast for me, the next morning, Achilles finds out which Gen Jock has been chosen to replace him. Well, it turns out that it's Athena. Achilles rushes back to the commissioner's office and says that he'll fight. Uh, he doesn't give his reasoning to Harem. Uh, his only condition is that there are to be no spectators. Back in uniform, Achilles finds out he will not be getting a new weapons briefing until he's in the cockpit. Achilles. Hey, Doc. Good to have you back. Just got the countdown sheet. No new weapons briefing? I was wondering about that myself. No new weapons? The briefing's on tape. You screen it before the fight tomorrow in the cockpit. Hold it. My boy didn't get a computer simulation, just goes at it cold? Exactly. That don't make sense. Security measure. The ultimate security measure. No one. Not even the engineers that installed the individual units know the exact nature of these weapons. No one but me. Sounds like too good a secret. What if I don't know how to use them? It's really quite simple. Yeah, well, a knife is simple. Using it ain't. You both will just have to trust me. So despite the added security, Tex is not happy. He tells Achilles that only two people knew the specs of the green laser from the last match, Matsumoto and him. He suspects the doc might be the leak. In Matsumoto's office, we find him working on the tape of the weapons briefing that he told Achilles about when Tex enters. Tex asks why he's being barred from seeing the weapons brief. Matsumoto confronts him with evidence that the only way he could have won his last match back in the day when he was an active jock was to trade information with the enemy. I ran a structural analysis. You knew when and exactly where to fire. No, like I say, lucky shot. You're a Confederation agent. Like hell. I won Campuchia from him. A small price to pay. What better spy to have in place than a hero? The most honored of your enemy's fighters. Yeah, I'll be damned. You got me. True then. That's right, Doc. You know the truth. And the truth is gonna set you free. Wait. I got all the time in the world. You weren't always a spy. There was a time when you were like Achilles. A proud soldier. Yeah. We always remain. All the people we've been. The oldest man. Child inside him. Uh -huh. Somewhere inside you is a real Tex Conway. You haven't lost him yet. That's right. That's Moto. 
So Tex is found out and shoots Matsumoto, but not before the doc starts the recorder, catching the whole confession on tape. Tex puts the gun in the doc's hand and makes it look like suicide. He then calls the commissioner and says he's found the spy and it's Matsumoto. The story is that he shot himself when Tex confronted him. The morning of the fight, we find ourselves back with Achilles. Athena comes to visit and, uh, you know, with the, at least the cover story of wishing him luck. She says she has a present for him and he should turn around. He does so with kind of a wolfish grin on his face. She unzips her jumpsuit and pulls out an injector. She then shoots him up with a strong sedative. A fight ensues, but eventually Achilles passes out from the drugs. Athena smashes his communications terminal and the lock controls to his apartment, locking him in his room without any way of getting out or communicating. She then dons his gear, puts down the helmet visor, and makes her way to the robot. Tex and the commissioner find it a little bit odd that uh, Achilles is suited up early, but they don't really pay it too much mind. One of the technicians finally realizes that it isn't Achilles, just as Athena is entering the cockpit. She fights her way in and powers up the robot. Manual override has Somebody been... Somebody stop that bitch! Please respond. Talk some sense into it. I don't understand. She's been trained since childhood to follow orders. Something's gone wrong. Athena, listen to me. I know you think you're doing the right thing, but this is wrong. No. Even under the best of conditions, I would have been a better match for Alexander. And Achilles is indisposed. What did you do to my boy? I put him to sleep. Please, evacuate the robot. You're invalidating all of my work. No. Elevator at level 10. Level 9. So despite everyone's best efforts, she gets the robot onto the field. The commissioner calls the officials and demands that the match is stopped since Achilles is not in command of the robot. The officials state that the identity of the pilots is not their responsibility. The fact that the pilot that the robot is on the field means that the match is on. Achilles enters the control room after escaping from his room. The way he gets out is uh, he ha- he owns a hover car that has a remote control. He uses the remote to smash the car through the wall and escapes that way. Uh, he realizes, though, that they're committed and tells Athena to watch the weapons tape, which was uploaded directly from Matsumoto's computer. She learns of one weapon, then it cuts to the recording of Tex killing Matsumoto. Tex is arrested on the spot, but before he can be taken away, he gets away from the guards, runs away, and throws himself out the window, falling to his death. The show must go on, though, and Alexander wants a fight. He quickly defeats Athena, but not before she severs the forearm of his robot. Per his normal MO, Alexander is about to kill Athena. Achilles drives out onto the field to save her. Now Alexander has exactly what he wants, Achilles. The officials give the win to Alexander, but he isn't done yet. He smashes the ref floater and is called in contempt of the match. Achilles saddles up despite the commissioner telling him they've already won. This is now personal. Both robots convert into a sort of flight mode and take off into orbit. 
After a short space battle, where Achilles' robot is heavily damaged, they both fall back to Earth. Achilles escapes from his stricken craft, while Alexander lands his mostly functional robot. Achilles' only hope is to escape from his machine, run and hide inside the forearm of Alexander's robot that was previously severed in the first part of the fight with Athena. He hotwires it so it fires and destroys Alexander's robot. Thinking it's finally over, Achilles is surprised when Alexander comes at him with a piece of flaming debris. In a final man-to-man fight, Achilles doesn't take the opportunity to kill Alexander and convinces him the better choice is to live. A match does not need to end with the death of a jock. Alexander throws down his weapon, and the two bitter enemies salute each other with newfound respect. You can live. Yes, if I kill you. We can both live! We are dead. We are robot jocks. We can live. So that's the movie, a quick 85-ish minutes of fun. Uh, When it released in 1990, it was panned fairly heavily by critics, and I can see why. The effects aren't very good, the acting isn't very good, the writing isn't very good, the editing is very rushed. Frankly, there's there's a lot wrong with this movie. Uh, It seems like the producers couldn't decide if the movie was aimed at kids or if it was aimed at, at adults. There were very clear delineations of good and evil, fun, kid-friendly kind of robot action, but there were also quite a few gory scenes in addition to scenes that are right at the edge of being sexually explicit. Uh, Robot Jocks just really isn't sure where it's going and who it's talking to a lot of the time. Uh, The movie only made about $1.2 million, well short of its $10 million budget. Since then, though, it has gained a little bit of a cult following. Uh, I don't even frankly remember how I first came across this movie. I feel like back in the day, my dad was kind of into this whole let's get free pay-per-view kind of a thing. So we had all kinds of weird decoders and different cards and all that stuff. So I may have seen this on some movie channel on some random day and, uh, you know, just followed up on it after that. I mean, this is not a movie that I should like, but growing up as a child of the 80s, like I did uh, with things like the Transformers, Voltron, Robotech... Battletech, 
GoBots and all that stuff, uh, you know, I guess I personally just have a bit of a predilection for movies with big robots in them that fight each other and and all of that. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, as I usually say on my podcast, I can always tell you what I think about these. You know, I usually talk about games, but I can always tell you what I think about this movie. But, uh, you know, it's only 85 minutes long. So, hey, why not? If you can get your hands on it, then, uh, then give it a whirl. Uh, I don't believe it's on Netflix. I have a DVD that I, I bought way back when just because I think it was cheap. And I said, hey, it's Robot Jocks. Oh, my God, I found it somewhere. So, you know, if you see it in the bargain bin, if it is on some type of streaming service, I think you can actually buy the DVD off of Amazon uh, or anything like that. Give it a whirl. It's, it's a fun little ride. Hi, this is Chris. And this is Rick. And we're the hosts of the Ragtag Fugitive Podcast. We're celebrating the original Battlestar Galactica series, and we're doing that by uh, watching an episode in total and commenting on it as it runs. And you know what's really fun about it is we're attempting to bring guest hosts in with us so that we can talk kind of like that mystery science theater kind of thing. And we sometimes we make a little fun of the episode, and sometimes we talk about how cool it is, so you just never know what you're going to get when you listen. Yes. So come and join us. We're on iTunes. You can find us by searching for Ragtag Fugitive Podcast, and we're on the Stitcher Radio Network. You also can visit our cool website and make comments and have fun looking around in the officer's lounge and all that jazz by going to Ragtag Fugitive Podcast. You have our word as a warrior. Word as a warrior? Plank down your cubits and come on over. And let's play a game of Pyramid. The Ragtag Fugitive Podcast. So I guess that is it. Um, Thanks to everyone for taking the time uh, to look at this relatively unknown film. Thanks to Rico for letting me slide in at the last minute to do it. We had a nice little short show here. I guess, you know, for a short movie, you can't really talk about an hour and a half long movie uh, for more than an hour and a half. It would be a bit silly, but uh, you know, that'll do next week. Rico is back and he will be covering the classic TNG episode, elementary dear data. And I guess it's really interesting. You know, checks and sci-fi has been around for over seven years now. And whenever Rico kind of does one of these more well-known TNG episodes or, you know, a well-known, I think it took a long time for, for him to get around to doing, uh, you know, like some very famous DS9 episodes, like uh, Far Beyond the Stars and things like that, I kind of get surprised. I'm like, oh, wow, in seven years, he hasn't covered that one yet. But, you know, that's what's what's so great about Trek and all that. There's so much of it. Then there, there's so many good ones that, uh, you know, you really can uh, take a lot of time to go through them properly and uh, and talk about each one individually and give it its, its due time and due course. So next week, Elementary Dear Data. Rico's going to do a great job as usual. Thank you again so much for listening. And... I will see you guys on the Facebook group, on the forums. Come on by. We're great folks. And bye-bye.